Hello, and welcome to Ladies First, your one-stop shop for all your fem-slash-podcast needs. I am Elizabeth, and today I am here with Corey. Hello. And we are both writers for The Fundamentals. So, our topic today on this very rainy and stormy day, I thought we'd like to grab a cup of tea and talk about a classic, Glee. Oh my goodness. I am so old. <laughs> I'm so old. Uh, I feel like the Crypt Keeper. Yeah, it was uh, 2009 that Glee premiered. Um, that's, that's almost 10 years. Yeah, well... It's almost been 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, it has. It's been a few years since it's ended, too, so that's definitely helping the time dilation there. Well, that's the thing, though. I think it ended, what, spring 2015? I think so, yeah. It was it was reasonably But it feels recent. like it was so long ago. <laughs> it does, yeah. I mean, it feels like Xena or Buffy, like something that's sort of ancient history, but no. It, it's oh, still... why are you bringing up Xena? Now I really feel old. <laughs> I have to. You're mean. I'm not mean. You do, you do not respect your elders. <sighs> Corey, you're only like five years older than me. This is not like... <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, but yes, it, it has been a little while since Glee has been on our televisions, but it is quite possibly one of the most resilient fandoms, especially the Femslash fandoms. Oh my goodness. The Femslash fandom for Glee. I, I, I have to bring up Xena again, and I hate myself for this. Outside of like Xena or maybe Buffy, I have not seen such an all-encompassing, and I say this with nothing but love, horde. Of Femslash writers stampeding to one show and churning out, like, media after media, whether it be art or video or fanfic or analysis for a show. I have not seen that since. I hadn't seen it really since the days of Buffy and Xena. And I know we talk about how this was a phenomenon in the broader culture, but, you know, in the, in the femme slash, you know, the woman-loving woman circle, this was kind of its own big flashpoint. Yeah, it really was. Especially since uh, with Xena and Buffy, of course you had these very large, very devoted fan fiction communities and fan art communities, but that was really before these communities became sort of open to the public, so to speak. Part of that is things yeah. like... Like, the rise of Tumblr, especially with Glee. Well, and just the prevalence of the internet, because I remember back in the 1990s, we still had, you know, Netscape, no Google, and, like, Lycos and AOL. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I, I can actually remember, we didn't get DSL until I was about 15 or 16. Yeah, we didn't have, you know, our Google overlords, and Tumblr, I think, Tumblr actually was... I think a big catalyst for this because Tumblr kind of came up to prominence right as Glee was getting off the ground and becoming a big cultural phenomenon. And I think you you kind of saw them go hand to hand. It kind of the Glee fandom kind of started off in a uh, what's it called that Live Journal. Yes, definitely. And then it did jump over into Tumblr and it just exploded. Yeah, it's really just an unprecedented amount of fan work, and not just fan fiction that we sort of, you know, we used to have to sort of lock the stuff off behind closed doors or in sort of dark corners yeah. of the internet and forums. And there are various reasons for that, not just general unpopularity, 
but uh, with with the general audience, but also uh, people did used to get cease and desist letters from creators over fanfiction. Oh my goodness! It there was a big debate in the two thousands, mid to late two thousands, on if fanfiction was infringement, and that's more or less faded away as the rise of fandom. The, you know, the age of fandom has come into play, and I think they realized it was you know trying to plug the dam. <laughs> Not that, just that it just um, it also helped build the fan base for the show. True, especially but, as a as repeat viewings, Netflix viewings, and things like that gained a lot more importance, especially in the past five five years. Yeah, I was gonna say ten yeah. years, but Netflix was still mail a mail service then. <laughs> We're so old. Oh my goodness! But yeah, really like. The, Glee was kind of at the flashpoint of a lot of things. I mean, it it really was kind of the perfect storm. You had this show, you had the rise of different forms of platforms online that were really starting to come into prominence that you could use. And fandoms really exploded. Because we had these platforms we hadn't really had before where you could just so easily disseminate content. Mm-hmm. And the ease of creation, creating content, too. Like, with digital streaming, yes. that you had, especially the rise of GIF culture, and mm-hmm. especially manipulated GIFs. Yes. Which became very important for a certain we ship. We'll touch back on to those wizards in one of our ships we're getting ready to talk about before too long. But speaking of ships, the ships on this show have a level of content output especially with the uh, fem slash community or the woman loving woman community that I have not seen since it helps that the show and ran for six seasons it, it hel- yes it does help that the show ran for six seasons but just the level of quality and quantity that was coming out for this show um Like we kind of kind of saw it with Xena. We kind of saw it with Buffy, but just not this explosion. Yeah, and there are fan fictions that are still not only remembered fondly now, but still recommended and reread. I still remember authors. Yes. Yeah, I do too. But I mean, we'll, we'll get back to that. I do want to, you know, kind of get into the ships because I've been wanting to talk about them for a while, but. Just the level of fiction that was getting churned out for this with, like, GIFs and videos and analysis is is just kind of mind-blowing. Yeah, and with analysis, I mean, that was sort of where I got my start. I didn't start writing about it, I guess, professionally until very recently, but the analysis of Glee was where I sort of cut my teeth on this style of writing, of applying literary analysis to television. Mm-hmm. Especially the After Ellen recaps, which really added a nice flavor of humor when things weren't quite going our way. And oh, uh, with this first ship here that we're going to talk about, uh, that was quite frequently towards the end of the show. And that is Britanna. Oh, Britanna. Uh, the one-off line! That launched a thousand lady-loving hearts. It did. 
That was the thing about the ship, though. Was like, it was never intended. And it came from just this little one-off line of, what was it, uh, Brittany saying, um, <laughs> sex isn't dating, or else Santana and I would be dating. Yeah, it's just this... And you, it's this one-off line, it's delivered, where they're walking, it's one of those, I, I love it when they did this, when they have those scenes where it's all of them talking to each other on their cell phones and it's intercut, yeah. and it's just this one little throwaway joke that, it's so small, it almost feel like, feels like Heather Morris ad-libbed it, mm-hmm. and that was just, that was all we had for an entire season, but it was enough back then. Okay, here's the thing that I think some of the younger participants in film slash culture may not quite understand because they were a little bit you know young at the time back in 2009 we had been living off of breadcrumbs Mm -hmm. for a very very long time like queer baiting was our sustenance uh warehouse 13 we lived off of Warehouse 13, and they were obviously never going to give that to us. Oh, I remember that. I remember and that then, Tumblr. And then the Britannia thing happened. And we were starved. I mean, this is, we live off of crumbs, and it was a nice crumb. So I remember watching it as it aired live at the time. I was like, oh, that faintly... Distant Thunder, oh, I know what this is. That's the Femslash contingent bearing down on this new ship with all the fury of a thousand storms because we had nothing. There's a disturbance in the force. Yes. Okay. So that that line just sprung this entire ship and it, you know, we kept at it and we kept at it and we were so loud that... Either you, you were going to have to give us either Rotana or Faberi. And we knew Faberi wasn't going to happen. So we kind of made our own ship canon. And I don't know that that's ever going to happen again. But this one shining moment in television history, we kind of made our own canon. Kind of. Kind of. It's certainly unprecedented, not just that it became canon because of fandom pressure, because that does happen once in a while. It's not mm-hmm. just that, it's that this became an endgame ship. Yes. And the story arc for this ship, while Santana and Brittany are secondary characters, the story arc for this ship does stretch completely across five seasons of the show. Mm -hmm. We're talking the canon content. And that is really unusual. Well, it's not just that. I mean, they gave us an endgame ship that they kept visiting. They didn't, you know, shunt them off to the side for three seasons and then rushed... To give them a happy ending at the very end. I mean, we had a lot of moments that, you know, when our community are pretty iconic. Uh. That they gave us, like, every season. I know you can't talk about Britannia without mentioning at least two songs. Oh. Guys, season two is so great. So great. You promised me you wouldn't cry. I'm not gonna cry. I may actually get a little teary-eyed. Uh... The big one in the fandom is actually typically Landslide. Because it's kind of... It's not the first moment uh, that the the ship was sort of moving into canon. But it was one of the first moments that was absolutely unambiguous that this is what it was supposed to mean. And I know a lot of people at the time, and even a few years later, are upset. Like, oh, they didn't kiss immediately after. Well... There, there's something that sort of has to be said about 
the early seasons of Glee is that this was still a time where it was sort of wobbly whether or not they were ever going to be able to do these things as canon ships. Mm. And Fox, the, Fox did push back on some of this. I know that Murphy... Well, I, I remember, we didn't get a kiss for Britannia until season three, and I remember mm-hmm. at the time, I think it was Ryan Murphy saying Fox wouldn't have let them, didn't let them before. Mm-hmm. I know that's so, a suspect, but it's really not. Like, this really was, and still is, a thing. Yes, sad but true. There is, there's still pushback. I mean, just looking at Supergirl with Sanders, the conservative pushback on there and this is with CW being full steam behind them you know Ryan Murphy and Glee both with Britannia and Clay. with their other characters I, I that's a dirty word I don't want to talk about them um, <laughs> well we have to a, a tidy bit okay well with Britannia and Clay like they really had to push and fight and claw to get those moments yeah, uh, the unfortunate side effect of this is that it sort of it sort of pitted the gay fandoms against each other, and it's I mean it's sort of an understandable reaction, but it really was that we were competing for screen time because Fox was only going to let him put so much gay per an episode, which like I just imagine that there was little percentage marker of a percentage of the script that was gay, and Fox is like okay, we're going to cut it at fifteen percent. Yeah, and that was that was being generous. It also, it's no secret that Murphy was pushing a lot harder for Clayne than he was for Britannia. And I mean, that's fine. A show well, yeah. creator's allowed to have a bias. But still, I just, the amount of Britannia we got, we got an interracial, you know, healthy relationship with a lesbian and a bisexual woman who legitimately understood each other. Yes. And you... You see them feel each other out with uh, Landslide. I say they did the same with Songbird. I can't talk about Songbird. Don't cry. I. You promised me you wouldn't cry. I'm trying not to. I'm going to dance at my wedding to that song. I'm not even kidding. That is, it's such a beautiful, I mean, it's a beautiful cover anyways, but um, a lot of people do talk about Landslide because it's the first confession song, and of course the scene that follows it is Hurt Locker. But mm-hmm. Songbird is just this beautiful, like, little pure moment of how much Santana loves Britney in the middle of this episode. That's because it's in the rumors episode, the Fleetwood Mac one, which is honestly one of their best episodes, where everyone else is falling to pieces and they think that Quinn and Sam, or they think that Kurt and Sam are having an affair. And, like, there's all these, like, rumors, haha, <laughs> right on the nose. Uh, but then you have this beautiful moment where Santana just sings this lovely song to Britney in private. Plus Brad, but you know he's part of the furniture. Uh, Brad is the piano player. If you don't know, the poor, long-suffering. <laughs> I hate these kids. Piano player and the jazz oh, ensemble. What I really—they <laughs> never got any credit. No, they didn't. Uh, but what I really loved with Britannia, though, is for me, you had—and I said it—you have two people that just legitimately get each other they get each other on a very deep level Mm. and through the course of their relationship you know it started off and I was a little worried if they stayed together it was going to be kind of enmeshing with Santana because so much of her was wrapped up in Brittany and I remember when they broke up and there are righteous 
lesbian and bisexual and lady-loving tears of rage and wrath over that breakup. That was hard to watch. And then when they dated other characters, like, I mean, it was vicious. But I liked it because it made Brittany and Santana, they had to be able to stand on their own to appreciate each other. Yes, they had to grow on their own. Yeah, it made them grow enough on their own that they could inevitably come back to each other and avoid that type of almost codependent, unhealthy relationship to where, you know, they were both their own two people, but they were each other's person. And they could have that healthy, deep relationship instead of it, you know, kind of going toxic because they lose each other and themselves. Yeah, when they do come back together, and you know when Brittany kisses Santana, just like you believe it, you believe every second of what happens next that they do end up getting married and they live happily ever after. Is that you know Brittany's saying it's you, it's only you, it always will be you. Like there's so few ships, so few women loving women ships that are happy and and soulful like this, and just so unequivocally upfront about it's you. Just in your face. And I loved it because Santana gets Britney like nobody else on the planet does. What is that quote? Um, it's like that the world that she lives in is a wonderful place, but she needs someone to help her cross the street. Like I always right. I love that quote. It's just, oh. And she's not stupid. The problem is she's really, really, really smart. Yeah, she's a savant. She just has really. a hard time. Yeah, she's a savant. She has a hard time relating back on everybody else's level. And really, I mean, Sam got her to a point, but Santana was really the person that appreciated her for who she was. And even before she knew Brittany was a quantifiable genius, she just got her and she appreciated her. Santana it's always, like the, um, Santana always what, believed in Brittany's magic. Yes. And, you know, in season five, when we see Brittany is, she's doing great at MIT, but she's miserable. Mm -hmm. And Santana just kind of drops everything because she's (laughs) trying to bring Brittany back to something. And she even tells her, she's like, yeah, that's great. You're a genius, but you don't have to do MIT if it's making you miserable. There is more to you than your brain. And I loved her for that because she, it was just this very touching you have more to offer than your intelligence. And I've always appreciated everything about you. I feel like my heart has just grown three times during this conversation. You're welcome. But th- that's <laughs> the opposite, though, is Brittany. Santana is just this prickly, just-out-of-a-cold-bath cat. I, I don't know a better way to describe her. She is prickly. She's acerbic. She's sarcastic. Sometimes she is verbally abusive. I was going to say, she's outright mean. Although, yeah, she's mean. Like, the, the, the way that she dragged Kurt after okay, the that proposal, was glorious, and that was a long time coming. That, that was honestly, will... I think that is the greatest three minutes of the entire show. If you've never seen I would... it, treat yourself. I would be hard-pressed to find another one that is that great. It was a long time coming. But Brittany, I mean, she's just this kind of special little ball of sun. I mean, she has her moments where she can be mean, too, but it's 
not, you know, the levels of Santana. But she is just always there and seeing that below all of that, you know, armor, Santana has a very soft and squishy heart. And Brittany kind of always saw that. You know, Santana, and she, to everyone else, she's like this giant, vicious, big cat, like a jaguar. She's just an absolute force to be reckoned with. But Brittany knows that she's just a little black kitten who just wants to sit in Brittany's lap. Well, and Brittany would push her. Yes. When she really needed to be pushed. And I don't think Santana really had friends that could do that. Like, when she was trying to get Santana not to come out of the closet, per se, but to be honest with herself and also, you know, not string Brittany along. Mm-hmm. You know, she was gentle with her, but she was also firm of, you need to sort yourself out. Yeah, it was the, if you really loved me, you would put on that shirt and dance with me. Yes. I mean, she wasn't saying in it to be manipulative. She was trying to get Santana to own up to the fact that she's trying to have it both ways. Out of context, the sentence doesn't sound so great, but the conversation, it trust, trust us, it, it works. And it, it works, comes from yes. a genuine place of love from Brittany. Yes. And, you know, the, there's other times, I remember, um, anytime Santana got upset, she went to Brittany. Yes. Like, Brittany knew how to deal with Santana. That one time when Rachel told Santana she'd never be anything but a stripper on a pole. Is that the one where she's crying in the hallway? Yeah, in the hallway. <laughs> and Brittany's just there. She's like, I know, I know. Like, <laughs> Brittany just got her. She did. And yes, Santana could say some things that would be mean. And most of the time, Santana would have to, you know, I, I liked that Brittany would hold out. And she was like, nope. I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to do that again. She had enough healthy boundaries that Santana knew not to, um, how do I say this? Push her luck. Yes. Like she did with everybody else. Yeah. And I mean, the sort of insecurity, the thing that I, the other thing I liked about the brief period that they were broken up, um, Santana's insecurity is sort of intrinsic to her personality, and another favorite scene of mine in the show is the one where Demi Lovato comes into the restaurant, and Santana starts getting the fear sweats, and so she's behind the counter, getting her armpits while panicking and talking to Rachel, and Rachel's just like, this is so cute, I've literally never seen this side of you. But we needed to see this. We we needed, it's part of the growth period. She needed to be herself outside. She needed to be Santana outside of Britanna. Mm-hmm. Just like Brittany needed to be Brittany outside of Britanna. And then they got married. Yes, they got married and Clayne hijacked their wedding and I'll never forgive them for it! <clears throat> well, okay. Granted, the season was shortened. I'm not happy about the decision. But you know what? No canonship is ever going to be perfect. That's just the way it is. And if I have to accept Clayne's vows interspliced between Britannas, that's fine. We still got it. We still got I am a work in progress. We did. And I do think that's something we have to be mindful of is it's not perfect. 
and you know, you and I have talked about this. No ship is ever going to be perfect. If a ship was perfect, it would be boring. It would be. What would we argue about and, in Tumblr? Yes. It's what we argue about in private a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, and you know, especially with the time period as well, with the context and everything else taken into account, I think if we look back now, it would be kind of easy to just kind of write this off as like, oh, this part's problematic. Oh, I don't like this part. And Relationships aren't there to be perfect. You're, you, you're not invested if everything is just smooth sailing. I mean, yes, it's nice, especially, you know, if you're from a minority perspective and watching something. But that's the thing about Glee that I don't understand is because it had some drama, which it needed for them to grow, but it gave you, like, the happiest of happy endings I have ever seen for a woman-loving woman ship. It did. You know, chill out. <laughs> Just chill the fuck out. Pardon my language. No, don't pardon my language. I mean yeah. it. Chill out. And, you know, it's it's like I said in, in the Glee article retrospective series I'm doing in part one, when I talked about season one, before the show was overtly gay, it was... It sort of feels like a safe space. It's hard to explain why, but the show always was and always will be sort of this strange safe place of fem slash and male slash and canon and non-canon ships. Like, just the whole thing. That even though it's not perfect, it still has a happy ending and we can promise you it does. So if you just mm-hmm. need something to feel better about being a woman-loving woman, this show will make you feel good about it. You will. It's one of the few shows with a woman-loving woman canonship that I can say you will walk away from this experience feeling happy and feeling better that you saw it. Well, also, just a quick aside, it was we had a bisexual woman and a lesbian. Yes. Get the happy ending. A bisexual woman who actually dated more men. Than, canonically, she dated men, except for Santana. Santana was not the exception, but really just, you know... Her big. Yeah, it was uh, that was her woman. There, there would be no other, and I think that's great. I think we need more of this. It's just nice. It is. But I promised people we were going to talk about wizards, and we haven't talked about Verberry yet. Oh, and oh, the sorcery those gift makers had, right? Okay, so. Backing up just really quick, Britanna was Brittany Santana. If you've been living under a rock and you haven't watched Glee yet, Faberry is Quinn Faberry and Rachel Berry. Because apparently we couldn't come up with a good portmanteau for them with their first names. <clears throat> so, actually, I don't even know what, what, would that, what would that be? Quitchel? Yuck. I think that's why we didn't go with that. <laughs> Rain? Eh... Okay, so this is why we use their last yeah. names. Uh, <laughs> I think we just figured that out. But this this never became canon, but it was so loud that the show would pay lip service to this throughout the seasons. I remember, like, the senior prom. You have Santana, quit making out with her Bray and help me count these votes. Season six, um, Kitty is telling Rachel, you know... If you're going onto the sapphic side, everybody had good money that you'd have gone for Quinn Fabray. Oh my god. I forgot I'm paraphrasing about that. there. But I mean, this was a big ship. 
And we weren't going to get it because Rachel was a main character, but it was a big ship. Yeah, I mean, I think I've said this on another podcast that a straight couple was at the center of Glee uh, up until Cory Monteith passed. And while a straight couple was at the center of the show, this was how they got their foot in the door and were able to do everything else that they did. That Rachel and Finn's story, while sort of cliche and not necessarily my thing, a lot of people did really love it. And this show was unbelievably popular with a general audience. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's fine. If that's the vehicle we had to use to get our foot in the door, I'm not objecting to it. Yeah, and we got a beautiful woman-loving woman ship out of it. We did. And really, I mean, the it's sort of... It really is unprecedented how much lip service they did pay to Faberi. I know, like, we weren't gonna get it, and we all knew we weren't gonna yeah, get it, but they would still throw us a bone, and it wasn't like they were dangling it in front of us, they were just throwing us a bone to be nice. <laughs> the, uh, you were singing to Finn and only Finn scene. Like, there's no, well, and here's no other way that could be interpreted. That was liter- that was, that was fan service at its finest. It was, and I think people kind of conflates queer baiting with fan service with this ship because a lot of this was fan service but I think because they didn't give it to us in the end uh, some people kind of interpreted it as queer baiting instead yeah so it could be a fine I think, to walk I think yes at some point we're going to have an entire podcast episode dedicated to what is queer baiting and what is fan service but for Barry I think a lot of it really was just fan service I think so too and especially since the the couple had so so much iconography that was canon in the show the gold stars the green ribbon the uh what is it gardenias gardenias. that was the season two prom wasn't it the one where uh Kurt where Rachel picked it out for her. Yes. Told Finn what to get yes. her. That was super gay. Well, and here's the thing with this ship. And we kind of had it with Britannia, but it wasn't like visually there. We had this kind of tall and short blonde brunette contrast with each other. And we talked about this before with, you know, our common fem slash tropes. Of we always seem to find like a brunette and a blonde and a tall and a short and that's we just kind of zero in on it like we're a bull running at a red flag and Faberi fit that to a T because A Leah Michelle is short. Oh yeah, she's tiny. Uh B the personalities made for really good drama. Now, do I think that Rachel and Quinn would be healthy for each other as adults, like I think Brittany and Santana are? Absolutely not. (laughs) I would not ever advocate for these two to actually be an endgame without one of them, well, both of them, undergoing some major couples counseling and learning how to compromise. I have to be honest. I actually don't. Re- I can't really seriously ship Rachel with anyone because she's such a diva that I just cannot imagine anybody eclipsing even a tiny sliver of her spotlight. Which is great because her ambition I... is one of the things I love the most about her. Yeah, but like long term for these two, like for a high school couple, it was cute. Yeah, 
But like long term, I'm I could not really advocate these two being together just because their personalities and their needs as people are not to me, they're not really compatible. Or you know how you know that we're old. We're talking we're about talking, adult healthy we're relationships. We're talking about adult healthy relationships in a conversation about about uh, shipping in a show about teenagers. Well, I don't want to talk about them when they're teenagers. I am old. I feel weird. See, this is how I relate anymore, kids. This is what you have to look forward to. See, this is this is a little. I don't quite. I don't quite have the same problem. The reason why I don't have an issue relating to this show is because, especially with Santana, because what happens to Santana is actually pretty close to my high school experience, and so I can relate to it looking back on the things that I remember going through, and so it's very, very personal to me. Mm-hmm. That being said, yes, it is a high school ship, and once you're in your late 20s or early 30s, you just are sort of... You know, it's like, you know you've grown up when you watch a Disney film, and, you know, like the little verbiage, Daddy, I love him! You don't even know him! You're 16! Stop it! Yeah. Which is sort of how we feel about a lot of the ships and Glee. But I think... That's why Britannia was so good. Because from an adult perspective, they were very healthy for each other. From an adult perspective, Faberi are not healthy for each other. They are not. They're great drama. They'd be a great disastrous ruin of a relationship that flared out with maximum damage. It would be... But, like, as a healthy relationship, no, they should not be together. It would be a fun... They look really good together. Diana Agron and Leah Michelle look delightful together. But as we know from the wizards, no. the gift wizards. For real though, the uh, yes. the very gifts, especially the kissing gifts, are some of the best, the most amazing. Even now, like five years later, that is some of the best gift manipulation I have ever yeah, seen. They really hold up. They look phenomenal, and really, that's part of why this particular fandom is so resilient is that the fan work was so top-notch and so high quality it was a delight to be a part of this fandom because it was just this wonderful devoted base of a wide wide variety of age groups but just a lot of people who were basically professionals writers or content creators or artists who were producing content for this ship Mm -hmm. well and the other thing with this ship is yes it's non-canon which like we just discussed, is probably a good thing, but that doesn't mean it's not important. Um, Britannia was the canon ship, which was huge, but just because Faberi wasn't canon doesn't mean it's not important in and of itself. Yeah. And the fact that this non-canon, woman-loving woman ship became so big that they were winning mainstream polls on sites like uh, e entertainment. I thought that was that was per, that was something. I mean, w- you never before that. I'd never seen a woman loving woman ship do that. Yeah, the the sort of the the we called them the flamingo squad because of that that gift set of the flamingos migrating together from fandom yes. to fandom. Um, it's not inaccurate. Yeah, it's not inaccurate. But uh, the flamingo squad. From Faberi, that just the, especially with the polls, um, they moved from fandom to fandom, and they continue to win polls for various ships. 
but Faberi, I felt like Faberi was sort of like, because, I mean, there's, there's, there was Buffy and there was Xena, but I feel like Faberi was the first, like, I guess, like, it's one of the first Femslash ships to actually sort of break into mainstream and not have immediate pushback against it where it was, like, like, there are some people who are like, you're crazy, it's all in your head. But I felt like, like, the Mm -hmm. fact that Entertainment Weekly and those other sites even paid any lip service to it was absolutely incredible. Yes. Well, and the actresses did, too. They won that Valentine's Day poll, and I remember Rachel, Rachel, oh my goodness, Leah Michelle and Diana Agron actually posed together with a little paper yeah. heart. It's a little small thing, but it's nice to know, you know, it's just that they... When you haven't had that before, it's huge. Yeah, if you're wondering why this fan base was not rabid, but, you know, like, so devoted, like, this is part of why. It's that they were very... They humored us in a way that they that had never been done before. It wasn't mean spirited. It was it was it was fan service. It was like yes, we see yeah. you. But you talked about the depth of the Glee fandom, and this is something you and I have talked about a lot uh, that we haven't really seen since. There's a lot of stuff in Glee fandom we haven't seen since, but the world of multi shipping. Yes. And exploration within the Glee fandom was just absolutely breathtaking. The amount of poly ships I saw for Glee. I have never seen so many poly ships. And at the place... I love Supergirl. I love that show. Certain fans could learn how to multi-ship. <laughs> good advice for any fandom yes but uh, glee was really this kind of little magical goose of a show that everybody just kind of shipped whoever and that was chill because you normally had three different ships yeah i I and this is one of the few you could have your otp you had your otp but you had these other ships and you were just as happy to read about them yeah i mean because eventually i get tired of reading faberi fan fiction and then the episode with Take My Breath Away came around, and I had a... Talk about fan oh service. Oh my god. Honestly, I, I didn't get the shit before that, because I'm like, no, they, like, you know, they're just they're just friends. God, it sounds so weird saying that sentence. Uh, but then that song happened, I'm like, oh, I get it. Like, when, when Quinn stands up and Santana looks at her, I was just like, whew. And then, they actually made it canon. Yeah. <laughs> Not just once, twice. Oh, I guess it was twice in the same evening. But like, this is yeah. This is again another thing that's so unprecedented. Like, I think like Lost Girl. Lost Girl was famous for this. Like, every crack ship got a bone on Lost Girl. But Glee wasn't like a smaller show, or you know, from Canada, like most amazing fem slash is. Uh, Glee was like a mainstream on Fox family show, and this happened. I know, just like this random... Oh, they slept together. Oh, look, they're going to do it again. We should fade to black. They drunkenly slept together at a wedding. Like, which... They talked it out afterwards and agreed to be chill and slept together again. What a a delightful core... One of the core uh, pillars of the uh, women-loving-women experience that I never expected to be seen on television. But, I mean, that's the thing, though. Quintana is what it's called. It, it, 
I don't know if they decided, well, we can't ever give them Faberi, so let's give them <laughs> Quinn with the resident lady. And it was, I loved it. And it was just a thing, and nobody was going around like, oh, it's threatening Faberi. They just genuinely were like, oh my god, we got it, we got it, we got it, we got it, we got it. Especially for gift making. You know. You have that wonderful gif of Quinn falling back on the pillow, drenched in sweat. I know. And reaching for the yep. water. Like, oh, I don't know how you guys got this on air, but I love it. I mean, but, you know, Quintana wasn't the only ship either. You had uh, Rachel and Santana. They were... Um, Pesberry. Pesberry. They were pretty popular. You had a smaller contingent that... What would they call it? Quit? It was uh, Quinn mm-hmm. and Brittany. Quinn Sadie's. And then, like, with the... Okay, this is my one criticism. We did not see Tina or Mercedes really featured. No, we did not. And that is my one criticism because, you know, a lot of the ladies that were featured were of a certain size and thinness and we, and predominantly white, and we did not really get to see anything with Tina and Mercedes. And that is my one big critique Yeah, that I think we could have done better on. And I feel like the show itself was... And I, I wish we would have done better on. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like the show itself was also unfair to these characters. Like, I just... I remember the... Was it, I think Heather Hogan might have still been writing them, or Dana Ficoli, the uh, the After Ellen recaps, where just week after week with Tina, they would just keep asking, like, what's going to be the moment, the thing that they do to Tina in this show that's going to finally turn her into a supervillain? I don't know how she hadn't taken over the world by the end of that show. It just, I don't know how she hadn't snapped and, and just lullabied everybody and waltzed away. And but in a volcanic lair. We didn't treat the sh- with a white cat in her we lap. We didn't really treat Tina much better than the show, though. Yeah, definitely. Same with Mercedes, too. And then... Well, we didn't really treat the new kids that well, either. Uh, What new kids, Corey? Well, the show didn't really treat the new kids that well, either. But it did give us a baby Supergirl. It did. With her own little femme slash ship (laughs) that she just seems to keep falling into. (laughs) Um, Melissa Benoist played Marley Rose, and she is at the center of another massive non-canon ship at Supergirl right now. But she had her own little baby gay ship. Um, Carly. On Glee, her character with uh, Kitty Wilde, who was played by Becca Tobin, they called it uh, Carly. Mm-hmm. I actually... And it was cute. I I loved the character of Marley. I thought that relationship was very unhealthy just because of the things Kitty did to her in canon. Gee, you think? <laughs> but, I mean, where there's a will, there's a way, and a little film slash ship eked its way out of the new kids. That, and I was actually really surprised for the lack of fic for Mercedes and Tina. There was a surprising amount of um, Marley and Unique that I saw floating mm-hmm. around. Which kind of surprised me just because we never wrote for Tina or Mercedes. But for whatever reason, 
that was kind of the little ship that threw, flew under everybody's radar, and it just kind of kept chugging along. It's possible that, because Unique actually got some pretty big story arcs um, mm-hmm. from their appearance until, it's like mostly through season four and season five. Yeah, until they unceremoniously dumped all the new kids in season yeah, five. Definitely. I don't. What I thought was. I don't blame them for not looking. I know, back. right? <laughs> like, thank God this is not Melissa Benoist's legacy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but with uh, oh. with Carly, I remember when it first started happening because I was actually pretty invested in this. Is that a lot of people were like, "This is your chance with," because Faberry was never going to happen, and so a lot of people were sort of saying, "This is your chance to make that right." This is your chance to have the cheerleader and the diva. Although, it became very quickly apparent that Marley is not a diva. Marley was not Rachel. No. Marley was her own character. And I, I hate what they did with her character. Because I thought the character actually had a lot of potential. And I would have really liked to have seen... It, to me, it was almost more Britannia-esque than Faberry. Esque. I'm making up words here. Fair. Just because you had somebody who was very just kind of mellow and, you know, kind and low-key and kind of sensitive, and you had somebody who was an even bigger not-nice person <laughs> than Santana and Quinn put together. And I got more of a Britannia vibe from that that I would have liked to see her kitty have to, you know blunt those claws and try to learn it's like okay i really like this girl wow this girl is really sensitive oh my mouth is gonna get me in trouble that type of like growing up in high school relationship and trying to fit we have some very jagged pieces that don't necessarily go to go together type of thing very beauty and the beast which i'm a humongous yeah yeah, it would very much be Marley having to kind of tame Kitty's mood swings and rages. But at the same time, we did get to see in the show, they did become friends. You know, Kitty did mellow out and, you know, she did have Marley's back in season five. She did, yeah. But I would have rather, I didn't want a Faberry relationship out of that. I, if we were going to do that route, I just really wanted to see two very, very different people who didn't have that instant Britannia connection, Mm -hmm. but had that kind of polar opposite effect going on, learning how to kind of dance around each other to where they could, you know, waltz without cutting each other. The ship sails itself. Not as well as Super No, it definitely doesn't. <clears throat> but, you know, our our darling <laughs> Melissa Benoist, she, uh, she gravitates towards strong, beautiful women. Just there's a certain way that she looks at other women. She just has really good chemistry when she acts across she from does, women. Yeah. I think it's just genuine admiration. Like, it, considering her her personal politics, I think it is just genuine, absolute admiration. She is just this kind of person, but when watching it on screen, sometimes it plays a little, a little gay. But that's good. I mean, a we little. do, generally <laughs> speaking, we do enjoy these non-canon ships because 
it does give you more freedom to sort of flesh them out as you will. Mm-hmm. Which, this is the reason why they exist in tandem with a cannon ship. Which is actually another interesting thing with Glee, is that it's... a Buffy had this too, but Glee especially, to have to, uh, a major cannon ship alongside a non-cannon ship. It's interesting to see how how women-loving women writers especially adapted to having both existing. Mm-hmm. Because with Faberi... I don't know how they did it with Glee. I don't know how they figured it out and why they can't carry it over to other ships now. But this little magical toadstool of a fandom <laughs> made it work. Not that they didn't fight, but they found a way to make it work. I feel like part of it, and like we see this also with Sanvers versus Supercore. Supercore, like the Barry, is this very sort of fantastical sort of fantasy love story. And it, part of that is because mm-hmm. it's not canon, but part of that is because we're following a trope script from Xena. Like, like it or not, this is the format. And we're going to see this until the heat death of the universe, the blonde and the brunette. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and there's that whole Romeo and Juliet yeah, ish thing going on too. We like to pretend that we're above it, but we love that kind of thing. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I am exhausted by it. Give me a Britannia and the domestic stuff just any day of the week. This is how I know I'm old. Oh my yeah. goodness. And, but also, it's and another reason why. Like, like, why now? Why are we talking about Glee now? Why am I doing this humongous article series now? Um, 2016 was horrible. And most of the yeah. most of the women-loving women relationships, they ended in tragedy, or they're in these shows that are these just slugfests to watch because they're depressing, they're dark, some of them are grimdark, some of them are tolerably dark, but ultimately, there's nothing like Britannia, especially nothing for a crowd that's under 35. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, if, like, why now? Well, I want, number one, I want more people to talk about with this, because this is, it's a part of queer history. I find it's very important that people should view as much queer content as they can to be educated and to participate in conversations. And Glee, fortunately, is one of the things that we can point to and say, okay, here's this thing, it's gay, it's part of our history, and it's not going to make you feel terrible when you're done watching it. Yeah. And considering the year we've had, to go back, and like, really just going back and watching the show, despite what an absolute train wreck it turns into after season four, it has been a really nice healing sort of thing for me personally to go back and watch Britannia develop on screen. Just, it's a nice to be reminded that this is a potential ending for a woman-loving woman couple, and it's a potential ending for someone like myself in real life. Sometimes things can work out. You can have your fairy tale ending. Well, and really, this may have been one of the first mainstream, if not the first mainstream, moments we got with a woman-loving woman couple getting that happy ending. That just unequivocal happy ending. There's nothing tacked on to it. It's just these two love each other. They got married. They're going to go back to school. And they're going to spend the rest of their lives to 
together, and we have absolutely no doubt that they're going to be happy. Yeah, and we desperately need this, considering the year we had. Well, I mean, we are seeing some pushback after the spring slaughter. Um, you know, Sandvers is going on. Uh, Winona Earp. They had actually... That was like the one bright light in 2016. <laughs> they filmed that bulletproof vest scene before the 100 ever aired. So, you know, definitely props to Emily Andres. Andres? Yeah. Andres? If you're listening, I'm really sorry I didn't get your name right. Um, but, you know, props to her and Winona Earp for giving us just something happy. But even though we're kind of seeing, kind of coming back around from a corner, Glee did it first. And they weren't acting from pressure of, oh, all this bad stuff happened, we have to course correct. They just, they just gave us a happy ending. Well, I feel like part of that is that this is just the type of show that Glee was and is. Glee is, in a lot of ways, wish fulfillment. It's a story about a girl Mm -hmm. from a small town with an amazing big voice who has big Broadway dreams, and she gets them. She gets her magical happy ending. And really, that's kind of the, the nice thing about Glee, is that it really, because it is just about wish fulfillment, that these happy endings for these gay couples was part of that wish fulfillment. Yes. I wish we could have seen a little epilogue for Britannia that, I mean, we saw Clayne in New York singing the monkeys and yeah, that's nice. (laughs) I mean, it is important. It's important. I will give it that. It's important. I just don't like the couple, but I do wish we could have maybe seen just a little snippet of, Brittany and Santana. I think it might have literally killed the family. Being happy. So that's a nice yeah, way to go true. out. Was the wedding episode the last the I'm last just saying, that we saw them? Were they in the final music number? Yeah, you see them in the very end when they're coming down the stairs to join everybody else from singing. The only person who wasn't there was Melissa Benoist. Go figure. Like Everybody else was there. Out, well, no, I take that back. Whoever played Rory, that Irish kid. We won't talk about that. Yeah, I don't remember his name. I feel bad for him, but I think he's living it up with Celtic Thunder again. So, But, like, they were the only two that weren't there. So we did get to see Brittany and Santana. They came downstairs from the top of the auditorium holding each other's hands and singing. I'm not going to cry. I just thought about the song, and I'm like, no, no, stop it. You're not going to cry. not going to cry. You promised me you weren't going to cry. I'm trying not to, but I just thought about the, like, the song that they picked for the finale of the series was so perfect, and you're like, you're watching it just ugly sobbing with snot pouring down your face. You're like, I hate this garbage show, but this is so beautiful. See, I stopped really caring about Glee, but I tuned in for the last season just because... You know, Glee aired, yeah, I was out of high school, but it was still a very kind of transformative part of my early adulthood. So I I didn't cry, but I got that kind of really weird feeling like you know when a definitive chapter of your life is officially closed. I was 
Because Glee I was, was only done. I was two years out of high school when this premiered, so this wasn't completely my age demographic, but it was definitely in the ballpark. So yeah, I ugly sobbed through the whole finale. I even disliked parts of it, and I was still seal clapping and ugly sobbing. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it did have weight. I mean, you know, I was further out of high school than you were, but, you know, I was, you know, in my 20s and still grappling around with my sexuality at the time and it was just this bright thing I could look forward to every week because you know there was stuff I was going through that wasn't great and Glee was just like this one bright thing I could tune into and watch and then you know it got better and then you know other life stuff happened you grew up and you come back but then you see the show's ending and you kind of tune in and you watch it and you realize that chapter of your life is done it was definitely something that I think the whole fandom felt. And the other aspect of this is that once... If you if you say you didn't feel anything, yeah, you're, lying. you're lying. Like, the end of Glee, and that was the other thing about the end of Glee, is it was the first show of its kind and when it ended, you also had this sort of in deep-seated feeling that this was never going to happen again. There will never, ever be anything like Glee ever again. Yeah, and I think that's part of the bittersweet aspect of it, too. Is It was a once-in-a-lifetime yeah. show. Especially with the dissemination of, of queer ships into the general TV landscape. Um, Glee served a purpose that is not necessarily a necessity now like it was in 2009. Are you no. crying? Okay. You I'm sound like you're crying. Up, but there are no tears on my face. Uh-huh. Okay. Let's wrap this up before you, yeah, before you I start fall apart, apart on me. See, now you've said it, and now it's starting. It's starting. You're welcome. Okay, so, Glee. Um, it's a phenomenal show. It's problematic. And I don't mean that in sort of... I don't mean that phrase lightly. Especially in its first season. If you're going to watch it, and I really do believe... Everybody should watch at least seasons one through three. And season three ends on such a definitive note that you could just never watch four through six. Or just read my recaps of them. Well, it's a product it of is. its time. Just keep in mind, it's a product yeah, of its you're, time. You're, and we're not perfect. We're, we're in 2017, and trust, we're not perfect right now. You're going to hear some slurs, especially about trans people. Um, of course, there's a there's a bullying plotline, so you're gonna hear some things that are not gonna be easy to hear. But yeah, it's a product of its time, and it is important. It, it is important to consume this media and accept it as a product of its time because we really do need to see how far we've come to a to know where we need to go from here. Yes. <sighs> and bottom line, you know, watch, watch it. it. Especially if you haven't seen it, go back and watch it. Yeah, you're going to miss out on, oh, I'm a Gleek phenomenon, but it's still something nice that you can watch when you're going through some shit and the world seems like a sucky place. You can go watch it and it will make you feel better. You can watch season three, you can watch them win nationals, and you can feel like you're on top of the world for an entire week after. We promise you won't regret it. Exactly. And I'm going to wrap this up because I think you're about to start (laughs) falling. Alright, this 
is Corey, and I kind of hijacked this from Elizabeth on her outro because I'm afraid she's going to start crying. But we are going to be back next time because Elizabeth and Gretchen are going to Klexicon as Yay! panelists, and they are going to be talking about and all of their fun film slashy glory. I'm so envious of you two. Well, you know, we're going to be posting so many pictures. I'm sure you'll feel like you're there. Uh. Anyways, preemptively, you two have fun. We'll be back next time. All things Klexicon. Thanks, you guys, for tuning in. Bye.